Hey, good morning and good to see you. Glad to, to be with you this morning for uh, this hour of worship. And if you are visiting here with us, we're glad to have you here and certainly want to invite you to be with us on future occasions. We're always glad to have you here with us. <clears throat> Our choir is uh, taking a break today, but you're not without the blessings of some great music coming up in a little while. But um, kind of nice, we do this every now and then just so wives and husbands in the choir can sit with each other, remember what they look like, you know, so uh, glad to give you that good experience. A couple of announcements. Um, we remind the children of their activities tonight, the choir practices and their Bible study mission kids program to follow. There are two adult Bible studies that will be going on tonight during that same time period. Uh, we hope that you'll take advantage of these good opportunities. The Methodist men will be having their pancake supper on Tuesday night from 5.30 to 7. You may purchase tickets uh, today before, you, before and after the service. Well, I guess the before is done. After the service, uh, $5 a person, um, or you can purchase tickets at the door as well, I believe. Next Sunday, right following the worship service, there'll be a brief called meeting of the administrative board. We don't really know of any business, but the uh, church has requirements to have this meeting on a quarterly basis, and so we want to give you an opportunity if you have some business to bring before the board to do so next Sunday, right after the worship service. You'll notice other meetings that will be happening today, and also happening today as a Sunday school class, Partners in Faith is um, giving a baby shower for uh, Marnie and Lee Dumas from 2.30 to 4.30 uh, over in the social hall, uh, rather the, the Family Life Center. So we invite you to be present for that. Other announcements we hope that you'll uh, take a look at as you have an opportunity to do so. A uh, lot going on day by day in the life of your church and we're excited always to be in this community and ministry as we are um, seven days a week. You folks are mighty busy as we care for each other and for the community of, of Greer with uh, the good news of the gospel. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen. Let us affirm our faith in God using this historic confession of the Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know whether he timed it like this or not, but just as we sang the vilest of sinners, I looked down and Smokey came in. Did you notice that? It's just wonderful, good timing there. We'd like to invite the children to come forward now to uh, join Lee Dumas for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Well, I'm glad to be here with you today. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but I just found out not too long ago that I was going to be up here talking to you. And uh, I thought I was going to be over in the nursery today helping our really small kids. And here I am helping you. So what do you think? You excited about this? I wanted to be here to encourage you today. I wanted to tell you a little bit about what the adults are up to. I know you get to watch us and see what we're doing every day. Do you keep an eye on what we're doing as adults? Do you, do you watch what your parents do and say? Do you think they ever make mistakes? Do they? <laughs> you want to give any examples? No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> in our lesson today in, in Sunday school, we kind of talked about the fact that we as adults continue to make mistakes, and I wanted to encourage you. I know that it, you seem like you want, to do, you want to try to do the right thing every day, right? You want to try to be good, right, and mind your parents and do the right things. But sometimes we make mistakes, and what do we do when we make mistakes? When we don't do the right thing, what do we, what do, we do? What's that? Do we say we're sorry? Do we? Do we try to do the right thing? So when we relate that to God, that's called repentance. We actually turn from our sin. We try to do the right thing. And guess what we ask God? Or guess we, we actually tell God, God, we're sorry. We know we don't do the right thing every day, and we're going to put our faith and trust in Christ, and in him we're, only, we're made holy. And can you believe as adults we still talk about that? It's so easy, and as, and as kids, I know you probably understand that, but as adults, we still struggle with it in our Sunday school classes. So you'll be looking forward to having this lesson of right and wrong and forgiveness of sins and everything else for years to come. So I wanted to get you excited about it this morning. What do you think, Shannon? You ready, big man? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the children of this church. And we recognize they've got a long life ahead of them. Please bless them and help them to know that when they do wrong, they can ask you for forgiveness and they can turn from their sins. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Now, it's funny that Lee just learned that he had to do that since his wife lines up these children's sermons. I, we may have an instance of a husband who wasn't playing, paying real close attention. Boy, that never happens, I'm sure. Uh, Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 18 and reading on to chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, my comforter and sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing? For the wounds of my people. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is a reading from Psalm 4 on page 741. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsibly. Answer me when I call, O God of my right. How long, O people, shall my honor suffer shame? But know that the Lord has set apart the righteous as God's own. The Lord Be angry, but do not sin. Offer right sacrifices. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now our epistle reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving 
be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we were reminded in Scripture that you call us to times of prayer. And as we are busy in our times of prayer for our own personal concerns, we are reminded to look a little further away to people who have very heavy responsibilities. We know, Lord, that if the apostles taught that we are to pray for people in authority when people rose to power through army and strength of military power back in those days, certainly it applies to our day when we are blessed to be in a nation that elects our own leaders. We pray, O Lord, for those, therefore, that lead us from the highest office in the land to our local officials. We pray that they might so lead us that we might live our lives, as the scripture says, in peace and in godliness, that we might be of service and ministry to others because of the way government is operated efficiently. We're thankful for this and we pray for the leaders of the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in various corners of this globe. And we pray that they might know the time when they may choose their own leaders. And we pray for the leaders that they have now, that they might lead with justice and with mercy. We're thankful, too, for the words of the prophet Jeremiah and the sorrow that he felt as he saw the trouble that his people were getting into. We're thankful, Lord, that you don't take pleasure in our missteps and in our mistakes. But like Jeremiah, the tears well up in you and your love for us comes shining through. And you come to us to lift up the fallen, to put us back on our feet and restore us. We're thankful that that is what your work has always been in your community of faith and among your people. From the earliest times, you have been about the work of redemption. And so we who gather in the name of the Redeemer Jesus come with thanksgiving in our hearts that you still are at that work today in us and through us to redeem us from our failures and to redeem all people everywhere from our shortcomings. Thank you that you not only forgive us of our sins, but you build strength into us for tomorrow and you cause us to grow evermore into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, Lord, for the journey that we share in life with our fellow Christians. It is so wonderful that we do not go alone through life, 
but that we have parents who care for us, siblings that love us, friends who walk with us through life, spouses that we turn to for strength. Help us, Lord, to put our trust in you and upon and in the people that you have given us more than we trust in ourselves and in our own personal wealth. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
seated, please. Gospel lesson today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is honest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> Our current uh, financial situation in this country has given us some terms that I don't remember using before all this time. For instance, what is a golden parachute? It sounds like it ought to be a trick play used by the Oakland NBA team, the Golden State Warriors. You know, someone say, well, pass the ball to Stephen Curry and he'll shoot a golden parachute for us. Maybe a golden parachute is the nickname for those baggy pants worn by the Kentucky Derby jockeys. They kind of look like golden parachutes sometimes. Well, actually, a golden parachute is a lucrative severance package given to corporate executives when they are fired. They may have ruined the country, uh, company, they may have hurt our country as well, but they still receive millions of dollars when they're fired. Of course, pastors don't have golden parachutes, 
We don't even have Kleenex tissue parachutes, but that's another story. Jesus told this really strange parable that is usually referred to as the parable of the shrewd manager. The meaning of the story is not obvious immediately, or it is often misunderstood, being clouded by what looks to be dishonesty. Jesus does seem to be encouraging workers to cheat on their bosses. And why, of all things, would the man's boss, when he found out about this, praise his former employee's actions? Some writers think that this story became popular because it's a story that pits the rich against the poor, and this time the poor guy finds a way to win. Roman Emperor Julian, a non-Christian, heard this story where Jesus apparently praised dishonesty and concluded that Jesus could not have been an honorable man. But the story is, in fact, a parable of a first-century golden parachute because it tells the story of how one executive about to be fired still managed to find a way to land softly on his feet and survive, if not prosper, after he lost his job. The big difference between the shrewd manager in Jesus' story and the executives of our day is that today's golden parachutes are all about monetary wealth, whereas Jesus' shrewd manager's safety net was all about the power of friendship. That is the point of the story, isn't it? Don't use people to make money, but use money generously in ways that gain you friends you can depend upon. As the story begins, we're told that a business manager had been accused by someone of mishandling his boss's wealth. What is this I hear about you, the boss asks. Turn in a balance sheet showing an accounting of your management, and when your report is turned in, you're out of here. You're fired. The manager may have been totally innocent. He may have been the victim of gossip. Maybe there was someone else there who wanted his job and planted these seeds of doubt in the boss's mind, hoping to get that job. Things like that do happen, you know, in the business world. The manager doesn't receive any due process. He has no recourse but to do what he is told. But what would he do next? He had been so used to a desk job all these years that he was ill-prepared for a job which might produce blisters on his hands, physical labor, and he didn't want to have to resort to begging on the street. The idea came to him that there might be something he could do which would gain him some friends to lean on after he lost his job. Now, as we examine this parable, it's necessary for us to remember that a parable has one simple message, uh, one main point. It is tempting to try to make an analogy out of a parable and force the various characters into various roles. For instance, it, it would be uh, usual that we would expect the rich man to represent God, and that creates a big problem because as it ends up, God would be praising uh, dishonesty. So the rich man does not have to represent 
God, but there may not have been any dishonesty involved at all. And if there's no dishonesty, then the rich man could represent God. Oh, isn't Bible study fun? I love doing things like this. How could there be no dishonesty in this man's actions? Well, in all probability, the manager was paid by or on commission, as many people are today, based on how well he managed his boss's money. If he invested wisely and if he made successful loans and charged enough interest on those loans, his boss would be prosperous and the manager would also make a very good living. It has been suggested that the way the shrewd manager could have remained honest while making deals with his boss's debtors is that he was willing to sacrifice his own commissions. Each debtor's balance, therefore, would be reduced by the amount the manager should have made in commissions. But the boss still got what he was supposed to get. In other words, the manager cheated only himself, sacrificing his commissions for something he felt was even more important. Now, as we'll see in a few moments, this detail isn't absolutely necessary in order to catch the meaning of the parable. But I think this knowledge might have helped Emperor Julian and anybody else who might be so distracted by the boss's praise of, of apparent dishonesty that they can't find anything good in this parable. If the manager swindled only himself out of commissions, it makes more sense that the boss would have words of praise to say about a person that he had just fired. The boss wasn't cheated. The debtors were not cheated. The manager did not gain financially from the deals, but he did gain something better than money. He gained a group of new friends who, could, who would feel a certain obligation toward him. Perhaps one of them would offer him a job. To be sure, he now has friends that he could stay with. There would be meals prepared for him. It was the wisdom of his actions that won him praise from his former boss. The manager had enough sense to use money in a way that gained him friends. And friends are a lot more dependable in life than money. I tell you, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when the wealth is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Even God approves of using Caesar's coins to win you something of spiritual value, friendships. Tomorrow, if your bank collapsed and FDIC went out of business, would you jump off of a tall building or would you say, oh, I am still so wealthy because I have a wealth of friends who will be with me and we will survive this together. You and I have never come even close to living through the hard time of our ancestors of the last 150 years. You know, the South was wiped out by the Civil War and so-called Reconstruction. It took decades for the South to get back on their feet, and before most of the families had gotten back on their feet, the Great Depression came along. Everything had to be rationed during World War II, sugar, rubber tires, building materials. My grandfather bought 
three beautiful acres on the outskirts of Spartanburg in 1942, but he wasn't allowed to build anything until after the war was finished because everything was rationed. How did our grandparents survive those hard times? Well, they had each other and they had their neighbors. Everybody helped everybody. Back then, nobody had to lock the doors of their house. Well, nobody had anything to steal either, but you still didn't have to lock your doors. Those folks may have been richer than you and I are today, you know. Early in my ministry, I went to visit some well-to-do folks on a Sunday night in Saluda. I found them eating what they considered to be a special delicacy given to them by the Great Depression. Biscuits, fat back, and gravy. Come in and have some, Arthur, they invited. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but oh, they felt like they were just eating high on the hog. Sometimes we forget that life does not depend on the big paycheck. It depends upon God and the fellow travelers we have through life. When you're surrounded by love, even fat back gravy biscuits are a great treat. One day as I was leaving one of my favorite dining establishments in this fine community, a former cook was getting his final paycheck and we knew each other and so he asked me for a, a ride to Greenville since I was headed that way to the hospital, I certainly didn't mind, and I took him. We got downtown, in downtown Greenville close to Triune United Methodist Church, an area that is inhabited by hundreds and hundreds of homeless people. The United Methodist Church has a wonderful mission to those people through Triune Church. He and I stopped at the Hardee's down that way, and the minute he got out of my car, he was immediately surrounded by people he knew. They welcomed him back home as if he was a lost son. I watched as they shared things with one another, change for some coffee, packs of crackers, information about where food was being given away that day. Another man said, oh, we found some real thick boxes. We'll sleep warm tonight. You can have one of the boxes. One of these homeless individuals was introduced to me as their preacher, their pastor, one who feels called to live among those people and to share their fate and to shepherd this flock of homeless people. He knew about a worship service planned for that night, and he talked about a great gospel band that would be there performing on the street. Now, I know in that part of Greenville, they have to watch out for illegal things and broken laws, but the group I was with that morning had found a way to survive by sharing what very little they had with each other. I almost came home and put on my most worn out pair of blue jeans and wanted to go back down there to spend the night on the street although I would certainly not survive. But there was something compelling about that Christian community. I wanted to see what this community of care looked like when the sun went down and cold night descended. This group of homeless folks 
use what little money they have to make friends for the journey. You and I should be that wise. Meanwhile, we rich folks suffer with loneliness while our banks overrun with money. We are paralyzed with fear that it might run out someday or we might lose our jobs. Meanwhile, Jesus speaks to us and advises us to use our worldly possessions in such a way to gain friends for ourselves in these tough times and so that we would be welcomed into eternal dwellings someday. In that way, we learn to depend upon God and God's children instead of our possessions and ourselves for our security. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. You'll hate one and love the others, the other. It is difficult for us relatively rich folks to learn to trust God and his children more than we do ourselves and our bank accounts. Did you hear the story about a banker named Leonard Abbess? I guess is how you say his last name. Now that's a man who had a golden parachute. He was born with it. Mr. Abbess inherited City National Bank of Florida, which his father had founded in 1946. He sold it recently for a $60 million profit. That should keep him pretty well fixed for his old age, but he didn't keep it. He gave it away. He spread it among 399 employees and 72 retirees of the bank based upon the number of years they had worked for the bank. Many of them received more than $100,000 each. I owned the bank, he said, but there were 400 plus people doing the work. I felt that they were owners too. Don't you know that he will never ever be lonely or homeless or hungry? He'll never know a time in life when he doesn't have people caring for him. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, Jesus said, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What is your golden parachute? Are you so wealthy in the number of people that you care for and who care about you that you can face tomorrow with confidence, trusting in God and counting on God's children? May the generous ways that we use our money show other people whose we are. And may they see that our trust is always in Almighty God. Amen. Thank you.